So this is my first time being here. So it's nice to see you all. Nice to see some, some people from Fareham as well. Um, so let's um, start today with the passage that was read out earlier, um, which was from Romans chapter 8. Man, this is quite imposing, this thing, isn't it? It looks like... It's great. So this is uh, Romans 8 from verse 31. So, but just while you're looking it up... Um, Andy, just I felt God had a word for you this morning. That's when I was praying this morning, and uh, it just sort of came to me, and it's sort of been developing as I've been sat there. Um, basically, uh, you've been carrying around uh, a kind of a shame around you as well from things from the past, and uh, and and firstly, Jesus wants to say to you, it's like it's that you, you've not failed him it's not a shame you've, you you don't need to carry that it's not your place to carry that he's dealt with it it's gone um, but also you know your heart still is for the church and you love the church and uh, you know God's put a burden on you for the church and whether you like it or not God I do believe at some stage God will call you back to doing work within the church as well um, but also it will change because you see with with God all the things that we go through nothing's wasted so, you know, and, and what you're doing now um, uh, with the, the charity organisation that you work for, you know, God is, God is giving you skills because actually it won't just be one church that you'll have to look after. You know, you'll, you'll have a, a skill to be able to help other churches and stuff and to speak into them. So uh, I believe God wants to say to you that you will get back involved in local churches, in planting and stuff, um, but also that you'll oversee churches and things as well. And that's, but it will happen when it's his time and uh, you'll get the cue from your wife. Okay. So, yeah, when she says go, then go. All right. So, um, anyway, anyway, back to Romans 8. <laughs> it's like, what's going on in here? Uh, so Romans 8. So what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now, often when we read the scriptures, don't we? It's like the Psalms. The Psalms are not supposed to be read the way we read them. Now, I've got a really old translation of the Psalms. Uh, so I think it's the Coverdale translation. And now what they do is at certain points in the psalm, you'll see a colon, which is the two dots. Yeah. Uh, and when you get to a colon, because that's what's written in the, the Hebrew, but they don't put it in the English because grammatically it just messes up the, the, te the text in modern day English. But what it's designed to do, it's meant to make you pause. So you're supposed to stop and you're supposed to think about it. Now, I know this, sometimes it says sila, which means to have a, an extended pause on that. But sometimes and when you read and as you read the psalms in that manner and you and actually psalms are not meant to be read they're supposed to be prayed or sung that's what they are it's a psalter it's it's hymns of praise and and, and prayers that are to be sung so if you just read it like a book um, you're not going to get much out of it but if you if you if you read it as like a prayer reflectively and pause every now and then you will get so much out of it and here's where i would suggest we need to pause because this is kind of what Paul is saying is there, uh, at this point. So what then are we to say about these things? Uh, what things? Well, he's talking about the previous part of this chapter is about the future glory of the saints when they go to glory. Um, and he said, if God is for us, who is against us? Pause. Selah. Think on this. If God is for us, who is against us? Anybody? Any answers? Satan. Sorry? Satan. Okay, so Satan. So, yeah. Any, any, any others? The world. 
the world. But Paul is using hyper, not hyperbole, but he's making the, the point here is that, yes, you do have the world against you. You do have circumstances against you. You do have Satan and his, and his dominion against us. And there are dark powers at war against the church. All of these things are against us. But the point is, if God is for you, then what is that in comparison to anything else that can be against you, which is futile and is nothing and is minuscule and it's just nothing? Amen. If God is for us, then who is against us? And what I think what uh, the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today is you need to change your mindset. If you've got bills and stuff and things and circumstances in your, in your life that are coming through, and you're worried about those things, you need to change your mindset. I'm reminded of the 12 spies as they were sent into, um, uh, into Canaan as they checked out the land which became Israel, and they saw these great giants there. You know, the Amalekites, or not, I can't remember the name of the, the giants, they, they're not Nephilim, they were called something else. So there was all these, these, these names, these guys. And, and this is an interesting quote from one of the spies. We, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes compared to them. We were as grasshoppers in our own eyes as we were to them. And yet, when, what, what were the people doing when they heard that Israel was coming to attack Jericho? They, they were like, let's, let's batten the hatches, let's lock down, let's just like, hopefully they'll just go away. You know, if we, if we stay here and stay quiet enough, they might go away, All right? They were terrified of the Israelites. So sometimes, you know, and, and there's, there's the scriptures like where it says, resist the devil and he will flee. Do you know what it means in the Greek when it says he will flee? It means run for terror and literally running for his life. That's what it means. So you are greater than any situation or any circumstance. The problem is, is we don't believe it because we are as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And, 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 and we see these scriptures, if God before us, who can be against us? Well, well, there's this and there's this and there's this. No, that's the point of the text. If God is for you, then who can be against you? Now, I want to speak for a minute about covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, you had um, different types of covenants. And one of the covenants and that, that happened is what they call a suzerainty vassal treaty covenant. OK, what is this? A suzerainty vassal treaty covenant. It's basically where a large militant power or powerful country comes up to, say, some little village over here and says, hey, guys, You've got what we want. You know, let's make something up. You make great leather shoes, right? Our, our big, big place, our country, we're rubbish at making shoes. But you guys are awesome at making shoes. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to have a covenant treaty with you so that we can like buy and trade together. But if you ever get into trouble and anyone threatens to attack you, you just call upon us and we will be there to help you. We are in exactly the same kind of covenant with God. It's known as a vassal suzerainty treaty uh, covenant, which means a great supreme force with a mighty military power has made a covenant with little old you and little old me. And what have we got to give to Jesus? Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I can play guitar. I can, I can preach. I, don't know, I can just be willing. I'm, I'm here. I'm able. Good. Well, that'll do. I'll just take whatever you got. We'll go with that. But if you ever have any problems... You just call and you'll have, because I'm known as uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the, the Lord of Heaven's armies. You just give us a call and I will be there at your beck and call. Because in the Old Testament, you see, when God appeared to Moses for the first time he, in the burning bush, 
and he in Moses, God revealed a part of his name or his nature and says, you know, I am who I am. And then obviously we also have the revelation of his name, the sacred name of God, Yehovah, Yahweh, however you want to say it, or Yahuwah and all these other weird pronunciations. But the point is God revealed his name. Now, again, Old Testament understanding was if you knew someone's name, you had power to call upon that individual and invoke them to your aid. God knew this. That's why God gave you his name. And we know God through the name of Jesus, of which there is no other higher name than that. It is the greatest name. So when you call, because it says in, in Acts chapter four, if you call those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, Christians, we're so Christianized in our thinking. We're like, yes, that means being born again. No, it means when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. I love watching those 999 programs by complete atheists. And they say, my, this is one incident, this guy said his son was trapped in the back of the car. It tipped over on its roof. The car was flooding and filling with water. He was trying to get the seatbelt off his child before he drowned. And he tried and he tried and he tried and it wouldn't come off. And he said, and I just said, God help me. And instantly the seatbelt came off and he saved his child. Because it says, all those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not just about being born again. It's about God being an ever-present help in time of trouble. Amen. Isn't that from the scriptures? God is with us in all circumstances. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I, I, God wants to encourage us today so that we stop seeing ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes. Well, how should we see ourselves then? Well, it says in the scriptures, as he is, as he is so am I in this world. As he is. Not as the little baby that was born of a virgin, not as the crucified saviour, but as the resurrected, ascended guy, God, that's gone and seated right again at the right hand of the father and is ruling and reigning as king over the universe with his father. So as he is, so am I. So what does this mean theologically? So where's Jesus seated right now? Right hand of the father. Right hand of the father. And what does the Bible say about us being seated? Where? In but where is Jesus? So where are we seated? Next to the Father. At the right hand of the Father. Okay. And G it says in Ephesians 1 or 2 as well that Jesus is, is sat far above all powers and principalities and dominions and everything. He is completely in charge of everything. So where are you seated? Far above all powers and principalities and dominions. You go, well, oh, I'm not Chris, I'm sat in a chair in Bridge Mary, right? <laughs> but spiritually, your authority, where you're seated in authority, comes from Jesus and the Father's authority. And you have been given his name to break into the circumstance. You know, we sing, you know, what a wonderful name it is, what a lovely name it is. We, it is a powerful name. And it is a name which demons have to fear. It's a, it's a name which demons tremble at. It is a powerful, powerful, powerful name. I'll give you a testimony of, of a really extreme circumstance where the name of Jesus broke through. And oh, you've probably, probably said this before, but I was in Africa once and we were at this particular church. It was, about, it was a big open meeting. It was about a thousand people in this big sort of, it was like a big tin shack type church, you know, made of um, corrugated iron, but it was huge. There was a thousand people in there, we were having this big seminar. And throughout all these seminars, this girl kept coming in. She looked about 19, 20. 
And every time she came in, it's off. I have a glass of water. Does anyone get me a glass of water? Sorry, thanks. So as as and she kept kept coming in and screaming. You know, it was like something out of the Book of Acts. So they wrapped her up in a big sh a shawl and then literally carried her out. Every meeting, ah! wrap her up in a shawl, get her up. Yeah, that's right. Preach it. And uh, and and so. And, and I, I was in this one meeting where she got dragged out and, and I just and there was me and this this other guy he, he, he was in the he was from the village but I think he was one of like the youth pastors and I said can we go and can we go and pray for her he kind of looked at me like good luck with that and uh, thank you anyway he told me that when she was nine years old sorry when she was born her parents devoted her to witchcraft and so she lived with a witch doctor. But I think when she got to the age of nine, the witch doctor rejected her, saying that she wasn't good enough for, you know, to be trained in those kind of ways. So she was rejected. So since nine, and she's now the age of, at this time when we were going to pray for her, was the age of 24. She'd never spoken, never said a name, never spoke anything except screamed and moaned and groaned wherever she was. To all intents and purposes, she was insane. Okay. Um, and that was how she was all the time in the village all the time. She's like, that's the screaming girl, yeah? She's 24. And so we took her around the back and we were I was praying for her. And, uh, and, and, and I just knew, because I was like, oh my gosh, what have I taken on? You know, it's like, I've never dealt with like, you know, uh, a, a daughter of like witchcraft to this degree. I mean, she was so, I mean, I've got, I've met people who've been demonically oppressed, but she was like squished full of demons, okay? Unclean spirits. And, uh, and I was like, oh man, I don't know. And, I, and the Holy Spirit, I think, said to me, just try and get her to come to the place of salvation. That's what's going to break this. So uh, I did some prayer over her. And I, I, I was really honest with her. I, I said, look, do you want to live like, like this for the rest of your life? Do you want to be like this? Is this, is, this, is this how good you want life to get? Or do you want to be free for this? Do you want to have like a normal life? Do you want to get married and have kids? Do you want to have some kind of life? Because... If you don't do what I recommend you do, this is as good as it's going to get. And I, and I said to her, you need to give your life to Jesus. And, uh, and so and I said, you need to start saying the name Jesus. Bear in mind, she's never said anything since she was nine. Nothing. OK, not a word. She started saying the name of Jesus. And then it's you know and I said you need to renounce witchcraft and this kind of stuff. And then she started vomiting and all this stuff started coming out. Um, and then she just started to get better and better and better. We spent about half an hour with her, just really praying for her and stuff. And at the end of that, and I'll be, I'll be honest with you, halfway through, I thought, this is not going to work. This, this just isn't going to work because, you know, I haven't got the faith. I just, I've never been in that scenario where it's that extreme. I was like, I haven't got the faith. But the name of Jesus came through. She was completely set free. So she sat there now in her right mind, still not saying anything, but she, but she did say who she was and she did say how old she was. And the guy next to me was stunned. He said, she has never spoken since she was nine. Never. She just screams all the time. So he knew that something had changed. Anyway, <laughs> so all throughout the day, she was shadowing me. Wherever I went, she was kind of like following me about. Always about 10 meters behind me, respectfully distanced away. And eventually it got to the evening and, and these people were like, for goodness sake, Chris, will you just go and speak to her? Because I didn't want to go and talk to her in case it was inappropriate or something. You know? So I, just, I was just trying to avoid her. And she came up to me and she spoke beautiful English. And she said, I just want to say thank you for praying for me, that God has healed me and set me free. 
And so I got an email from the uh, youth pastor a few months later saying, you know, she's a lot better now. She's re doing really well. She's going through some counseling and stuff. But that was an example of the name of Jesus yeah. setting someone free that had been bound by Satan for a long time. You know, just screaming, literally having to be carried out and stuff all the time. That's the power of the name of Jesus. So why don't we use it? Why don't we use it? Because if God is for us, who is against us? And too often we don't use it in the right way because we are as grasshoppers in the eyes of that huge big bill that just came through or the fuel bill and how am I going to pay for my food and how am I going to pay for my mortgage and how am I going to cope with what's coming and, and, and there's just too much going on right now. I just can't cope. I just don't know what to do with myself. How, 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 and you get yourself into this big, big, complete frenzy. Losing your peace, losing everything that Jesus has given to you. So you're just walking around like a crazy person. But Jesus wants you to be in the place of perfect peace. And you and I have the kingdom of God in us. And what is the kingdom of God? It says in Romans that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. So if you ain't got no peace and you ain't got no joy, then something's not right. And it's time to recalibrate. You know, sometimes we get all out of whack. It's like a steering a car. Sometimes the tracking goes out. So you, your steering wheel's like that and then it's going straight and stuff. And you have to get the tracking put right so the steering wheel's right so the wheels are straight. And sometimes we get whacked out of shape and we need to be recalibrated and we need to go into the workshop and, hey man, I'm a bit out of alignment here. My, my steering keeps pulling me to the left or whatever and get those wheels realigned. How do we do that? Just coming into the presence of God. You know, last night, um, Graham Kendrick sang a song about Mary and Martha. And, you know, sometimes we're just too busy doing everything else. But the thing we need to do, which is important, which is what Martha did, Mary did, which was to sit down at Jesus' feet and chill out with the master. Oh, but you don't know how busy I am. You don't know this in my life. You just don't know what's going on in my life. It's like, sounds to me like you need to take some time out. Sounds to me like you definitely need to chill out with Jesus. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so important that we keep the things important that are important in our lives. And the most important thing that we can do is to spend time daily with Jesus in his presence and learn from the master himself. And as you do that, it will recalibrate you. It's about getting into, a, see, everything that we do wrong as Christians is because we're not in alignment with what has already been given to us. So you've got this perfect line here and it comes out of alignment. So what's coming down from the kingdom isn't quite getting into here because the conduit's moved over. And we need to get ourselves into al alignment with the Lord. How does this, how do you do that? Well, it's about walking the right path, walking in the ways of righteousness and, walk, and, and those paths of peace and those paths of joy and spending time with Jesus and just getting realigned. I remember years ago uh, when I was about 18, 19, I was working at this butcher shop and uh, I used to go up onto the roof of the shop just to like have a little quiet time. And uh, just like Peter, I actually had a vision up on the roof one day and in this vision, I sort of fell into this kind of trance and I had this vision and I, and I saw this big engine and all this power of God was going into it. And out the end of the engine, right, was this little 
this little tiny blob of power which couldn't do anything to anybody. And God said, that's you. The power's going in, but you're so messed up inside that nothing is coming out the other end except a little dribble. And I realised then that actually it's my, my responsibility to get my life right with God so that I can be used so his kingdom power can come through me. Because that's what we're praying when we pray the Lord's will. Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will on earth be done as it is in heaven. But how's it going to be done? It's going to be done through his body. Who is the body? You and me. And no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to manifest Jesus on the earth but you and me. No one. Nobody. So there's a heck of a lot of responsibility on you, but a privilege and an honour that you can have Christ and the kingdom of God working in and through you so that you can be a blessing to people. Because God has blessed you to be a blessing. God has given you the message of salvation. God has given you the message to set the captives free. What is this gospel? What does this gospel look like? Oh man, it must break Jesus's heart when he sees the state of the church today. because we now call good evil and evil good. Not realising that the message and, and, the, and the duty and responsibility of the church is to set people free and to give them the gospel so that they too can grow in the knowledge of God, that they too can grow to know this beautiful saviour, this beautiful Jesus. Because life is not, you see, eternal life is not about when you die and you go to heaven. John 17, three says eternal life is knowing God. That starts now. You should be developed, part of your eternal life is developing that walk and that intimacy with Christ right here and now. And we are the people to bring the gospel. But what is the gospel? Well, Jesus sums it up when he read from Isaiah in Luke 4, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That was that power in my vision, trying to get into that engine. But what was coming out the other end was just like a little drip of water. Infinite power coming in the top, a little drop of water down the bottom. It, it wasn't that God wasn't willing. It wasn't that God wasn't able. It was because I was getting in the way. And there was things in my life that weren't in alignment with the word of God. And the more things that I align up and do what he tells me to do, the more the water can flow. The water of the kingdom can flow through me and out into the world. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I like the old King James translation where it says the anointing breaks the yoke. <coughs> Modern day translations says it's the fatness that breaks the yoke, which you're like, what does that mean? It means you get so, you've got this yoke around you, right? You're a slave and you get so fat that the yoke can't take it anyway. And this yoke goes and it comes off. But the, but the fatness is to do with the anointing. You get so huge in the Lord and the, the anointing of his spirit that it breaks the yoke. Now, what do you think happens when you break the yoke? You're free. But then what are you going to do when you're free? And you're like this big guy and the enemy over there put that yoke on you. He's looking at you. And you're like, what are you looking at, mate? <laughs> right? He'd be the first one out the door. At least I would be if I saw someone grow big and fat and break the yoke. I'd be out the door. It's like, because he's going to come after me next who put the yoke on him in the first place. Because we are to set the captives free. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now the word poor is a, is a, um, it's a, it's a what's the, would be the word? It's, it's in Hebrew, it would be, um, the Jews would use it not to mean necessarily poor, though it does mean poor, but they were, it means to be repentant. So someone who is repentant admits that they're poor. 
admits that they are nothing before their God and that they need God to sustain them and to, and to help them. So to bring good news to the repentant, and he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. This is this whole anointing thing. The anointing is to proclaim release to the captives. But Lord, I was a grass as a grasshopper in my own eyes compared to these giants. Jesus is like, man, I don't know what, what lenses you're wearing, but you need to take them off. You know, you get those weird glasses that make everything look really small or really big. You're like, got these glasses, everything's like, whoa, everything's so big, man. You take off these glasses and those big giants are like, and that's, but that's how we live. We are, we are so, it is laughable. I must admit, I think the angels look at us sometimes and go, and what is wrong with these guys? Yesterday they were like, yes, I'm going to take the citadel. And today they're like, oh, Jesus, help me. I'm so scared. Have some faith. Know who you are in Christ Jesus. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And this is something that really, again, saddens me today, is that the church is blind. I, I, I don't think the church has been as blind as she has been now probably since the last 500 years. She is so blind that she can't see that Jesus wants to set people free from the power of sin because it's sin that locks us into bondage. It's sin that gnarls us up and, and makes us get into a wrong place. It's sin that can open us up to the powers of darkness. It's sin that separates us from God. It's sin which is the way of death, but in the ways of the spirit, it's life and peace. That You see, sin is so diametrically opposed to Jesus is so diametrically opposed to the holiness of God. And yet as churches, we are going, come here, sin, come here. Let us entertain you and we'll bring you in and we will change thousands of years of orthodoxy and we will say that this is now the new God that we've just invented. The God, apparently, who never changes, who is the same yesterday, today and forevermore, is now, well, he's okay with that, even though 20 years ago he wasn't, but now we're okay with that. The church is blind. And when the church is blind, she's like Laodicea, who thinks she's rich, who thinks she can see clearly, but doesn't know that Hi, I'm so rich and so wealthy. But she's blinded and she's naked because she can't see the wood for the tree. She can't see that sin is the very thing that is crippling and destroying humanity. And that's what Jesus came to destroy on the cross. And when we diminish that, we diminish the atoning work of Christ. God wants to give sight to the blind. God wants his church to open our eyes again and to see who she really is and believe in who she really is. Because she is beautiful and she is glorious and she is strong. I like those pictures I've seen on Facebook where the bride of Christ is this beautiful young lady in a really nice wedding dress but with commando boots and a machine gun. Because quite frankly, so we are the church militant. That's the, the, the theologians call the church, there's two types of church. The church glorified, that's where you get to when you, when you check out and go to glory, and the church militant. In other words, we are wrestling powers and principalities, not flesh and blood, but we're wrestling against powers and principalities. We are in a war. You're gonna get days where the devil gives you good kicking because we're at war. That's why we need each other. We need to support one another. We need to be there for one another. And we need to be proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. I'll bring this to a close now. We'll go back to Romans 9. But if God be for us, 
Who can be against us? And I just think the message that the Holy Spirit wants to say to us today is to stop seeing yourself as grasshoppers and see yourself as children of the King. And I just finish with this. Jesus said this weird parable once where Peter came up to him because no one had paid the temple tax. A bit embarrassing. He'd been asked. And I was like, oh, but Jesus obviously knew what he was going to say. And he said, Jesus said to him, look, is it right that the sons of the king pay tribute? And I was like, well, no, not really. And he's like, OK, that's right. But lest we cause offence, go and fish and uh, you'll find some money in the fishes and then mouth and then you go pay, pay the tax, etc. OK. Well, the point of that is you are sons and daughters of the king. That means you get special dispensation. You, you have a dispensation that the unbelievers don't have. You have angels at your disposal. Okay, I've had angels deliver me and save me on several, several situations and circumstances. They are real. It's not me being super charismatic and, oh, look, look, do you see that pink fluffy thing in the sky? That's an angel. Okay, it's not that. I have seen the power of God. I've seen angels. I've seen the things that they can do. They are powerful. But they're there to help us. They're there because we are co-heirs of salvation and they're ministering spirits sent to help those co-heirs of salvation because you and I are sons and daughters of the King. I remember once that I went, I was walking in Winchester and there was this little poster on the window advertising some young rich kid who was going to do some um, piano concerto. And it says he commands the stage with an aristocratic ease. And I was like, what does that mean? And then the Holy Spirit said to me, that's how you should be. And I was like, what? He said, you are children of the king. Act like it. Live like it. Believe it. You have heaven inside of you. Give it freely. Live like you're in heaven now, but on the earth. Be heaven to people. Be Jesus to people. Go, that's blasphemous. No, because you are the body of Christ. The church is the mystical body of Christ on the earth. Therefore, be Jesus to everyone around you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.